This morning's message, Christ in us. Christ in us. That, that's just a, a, a phrase right there from our, our passage in verse 27. Uh, I'm preaching the same passage you did in, in uh, Connect Group. I did not read the lesson and I did not attend a class. I, I taught the, the, the new uh, the discovery class this morning, so I have no idea what y'all talked about. So if I repeat something, that's because God wants it repeated, not because I took it from my teacher, Etta, or from the lesson during the week. Christ in us. The story of us, if we are telling our story, or if we're just living out our lives, what people should see is Jesus. They should think of Jesus when they come into contact with us. If we were describing something about ourselves, that something should have, at the very least, hints, but I think it should be even bolder than that, of, of Jesus. Paul, in, in this passage, verses uh, 124 through 2-3, and incidentally, verses 24 through 29, though they may have periods and capital letters in your English translation, that is all one long sentence for Paul. Paul is talking about his ministry here. Depending on your Bible, you actually may have a heading that says, Paul's ministry. And that's, that's great. That, that's what he's talking about. He's telling the, the church in Colossae about his ministry. But, but what comes out in his description of his ministry is actually teaching about who Jesus is. Paul talks about what he does and then tells about Jesus and tells how Jesus empowers his ministry and how Jesus is the reason for his ministry. And, and, and we end up, even with Paul saying, hey, this is what I'm doing for you, we hear about what Jesus is doing in and through Paul. Well, as I said, that's what should happen when we talk about ourselves. Or when people see us. Our lives should reflect Jesus. Our, our descriptions of what we are doing in life should reflect Jesus. And even if we don't use his name as much as Paul did, if I were to keep a detailed diary of everything I did for the last week, from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, everything that I write down, you should be able, and I should be able to do about you, and we should be able to do about each other, everything we write down we should be able to read and go, yeah, that's, that's, that's like what Jesus would do. Oh, yeah, I see, I see Jesus in that act, that attitude, that, that action. Oh, yeah, I see, I see Jesus there. That, that is the goal. That is our purpose. And that, in writing about his ministry, is what we see with Paul. St. Francis of Assisi You've, you've said, you've seen, if you're on social media at all, you've seen this phrase attributed to him, 
preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Well, first of all, he didn't say it. Second of all, that's bad evangelism. Don't take that advice. It's not good. Reject it. But he, whoever actually wrote that quote, came up with that quote and attributed it to him, was right in that people should see the gospel in our lives. We shouldn't depend on our lives to preach the gospel. Uh, we preach the gospel with words. The gospel is words. But they should see the gospel in our lives. They should see Jesus in our lives as we live, as we describe, however it comes up. That's what we see in our passage from Colossians today, verses uh, chapter 1, 20, uh, 1, 24 through 2, 3. Paul writes to the church, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant, according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul describes his ministry, tells the church at Colossae and then also the church at Laodicea what his striving is for, his suffering. This is, I'm, this is why I live. And that's what Jesus told him on the road to Damascus. This is, this is your purpose now, Paul. The gospel to the Gentiles. And, and I'm going to show you the Holy Spirit later tells Ananias, I'm going to show Paul how much he will suffer for this task, for this gospel. But in describing all of this, what we see, and I believe what Paul would want us to see, is not Paul, and not his ministry, and not his sufferings, and neither be uh, proud of him, nor feel sorry for him, but instead to see Jesus in the midst of his ministry. First thing Paul talks about is rejoicing in his sufferings for the church at Colossae, for the church. We, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, in our connect groups, we're doing all three of those together. Uh, a lot of scholars believe Philippians and Colossians Philemon as well were written at the same time. Uh, Philemon was a church member in Colossae, if my memory serves correctly. 
they both talk about this joy. We, we talked about in Philippians the joy of partnership and how many times joy and rejoicing and joyfulness and all that variations of that word were used uh, in, uh, in Philippians. And now, again, Paul is bringing up this idea of joy, and it's not, gonna be, it's not the last time we'll read it. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. But what we see about Jesus is that his afflictions, Jesus' afflictions, are our sufferings. When we have Christ in us, we will suffer. Paul uses some interesting language here. He, he says, I, I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. And if we don't spend some time thinking about that sentence, if we just kind of read it and go, all right, that is saying that, wow, that Jesus lacked something in his sufferings. And Paul makes up for what Jesus lacked? Well, that, that would, we, we know Paul wouldn't say that. So then we've got to say, okay, what are we missing in translation here? What, what else could it mean? What it means is not that these are, are afflictions that Christ lacked or it, he was lacking. Uh, Paul is not completing what was lacking in the afflictions that Christ owned or that Christ went through, but instead Paul is, make, is completing in his flesh what is lacking in the afflictions that come as a result of following Jesus for the church. Let me try to simplify that a little bit more. Paul is saying, I want to take on the affliction, the suffering, that you will have to go through because you're following Jesus. I want to take that from you. As much as I can, I want to absorb the punishment for the gospel. Well, we, we know as the church, we are promised suffering. If we are promised uh, the abundant life, and we all love that verse and we know it, I've come that they might have life and might hand it, have it more abundantly. We also need to realize that we are promised suffering and affliction. And uh, Jesus says, when you are persecuted, not if you are persecuted. We have these afflictions. And there's a reason that uh, Paul uses the word suffering for the church and Christ's afflictions. The word affliction is never used for what Jesus endured on the cross. He suffered on the cross. But affliction would be more like trials or tribulations, not the suffering of the cross. That's one reason we know Paul is not saying, I'm going to make up for what Jesus didn't do on the cross. That's not what's happening here. Paul is saying one of two things. Either he wants to take a share of their suffering if he can, and he's very willing to, or Paul is saying that he will gladly take the suffering of sharing the gospel for their sake so that they will know the gospel. Again, going back to what he was promised uh, 
on the road to Damascus. He was promised suffering. Paul, you will suffer for taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul didn't make anybody happy. Paul didn't make the Jews happy because he was, uh, well, for any number of reasons, he was saying that it was more than the Old Testament. Jesus was the Messiah when most of the Jews were still waiting for the Messiah. Then he said, so you don't have to follow the laws and all those things. It's, that's not what saves you. Well, that didn't make them happy. And then he said, and the gospel gets to go to the Gentiles, and they don't have to become Jews first. They can go straight from Gentile to Jesus. They don't have to go Gentile, Jew, Jesus. Well, so now he's, got a, he's made the Jews mad in three different ways. But then he goes to the Gentiles, and he makes the Gentiles mad, and particularly the Romans, because Caesar is God. You can have no other gods before you in Rome either, and that means no gods more important than Caesar. He's creating division, is what folks in the towns will say, the, the, the silversmiths in, in Ephesus will say. He's, he's causing problems in the economy. He's messed up our finances. He's causing dissension. Look, there are riots happening. I mean, we started them, but still, there are riots are happening because, G, because Paul's talking about this Jesus fellow. So now he's got the Gentiles mad at him. He's making nobody happy because he is sharing the gospel except he's making Jesus happy. He's fulfilling his call. He's experiencing the suffering, the afflictions, because of the gospel. And we take our cross. We bear our cross. We understand that we will suffer for the gospel because we take the name of Jesus. If we don't suffer for the gospel there are certainly times we could question whether or not we are truly living our faith to its fullest or to the loudest degree to which we should be living it. If we're not suffering for our faith, are we really living our faith? Yes, we live in a, a country of freedom that allows us to worship freely. So the government is not supposed to punish us uh, persecute us for our faith. But it doesn't mean that the world won't. That doesn't mean that the lost world in which we live won't persecute us. And if we're no different from the rest of them, and they have no reason to pers persecute us, are we living our faith? His afflictions, Jesus' afflictions, when Christ is in us, His afflictions are our sufferings. Paul continues to tell us about Jesus and, and telling us what his goal, his purpose was. He says, he continues, I, I, I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. I have become its servant, the church's servant, according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. To make the word of God fully known. When Christ is in us, Jesus is the Logos that we speak and read. Now, we've talked about that word Logos already. That word means word. And we go back to Genesis 1, uh, last Sunday's sermon. We talked about creation and, and Jesus being at creation and, and God's word, this God speaking, uh, being uh, 
actually being Jesus as the uh, one through whom all creation was created. John 1 tells us that. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. And then the Logos came in the flesh. Jesus is the Logos. So we get to this passage, we get to this verse, and we see that, that God's commission that was given to me for you, Paul says, to make the Logos of God fully known. Now, if we just read this as the Word of God and nothing else, and as good Baptists, we know the Word of God is this, the Word of God, we would say, we could say, and we could stop here and say, Paul came to make God's words known. He came to share Scripture. That was his purpose. But we know intuitively that was not Paul's purpose. Yes, he used Scripture to explain Jesus, to explain the gospel, to, to show how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies and, 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 and how uh, the, the, the Old Testament was preparation for the coming Messiah. But Paul's purpose was not to distribute Bibles, for lack of a better analogy. Paul did not come to make printed words on paper known. Paul, his purpose was to make Jesus known. The word, logos, is Jesus. So, let's, in math, there's, there's what's the A equals B equals C thing? I don't know. It's math. If one thing equals one thing, and one thing equals the other thing, then the last thing equals the first thing. That's, that's a thing. That's math. Y'all are not helpful. All right, moving on. Anyway, I thought I'd have some better math people in here, like my son who's taking algebra right now, but whatever. Um, distributive property. No. Commutative property? Commutative property. Go home and learn that. It'll be on the test. Who said you don't use algebra? Use algebra in church all the time if the preacher says it and doesn't know what he's talking about. But that's the idea here, okay? This is, this is what we're getting to. The Word is Jesus. And Paul says, I came, uh, I, I was given the commission to share the Word. So, to make Jesus known, which was the commission, that we know that from the beginning, you're going to go take Jesus to the Gentiles. Now he says, my commission was to share the Word of God. Well, to make Jesus known is to share God's Word. And, and we as Baptists, again, believe that this is God's Word. And, 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 and so these, this ink and this paper is just that. It's just ink. It's just paper. So if, if this, this book wears out, I use this for a long time, it wears out, and I don't want to keep it, and I put it in the trash, it's not heresy, okay? It's not blasphemy to, to, to put a Bible in the trash. This is ink and paper. These words, this ink and paper, this is not Jesus, right? I mean, I think you're... This is easy to see. This book is not Jesus. This book, this physical thing didn't die for me. But Paul says that the Word is 
Jesus. So if he is going to make Jesus known, he is going to share God's word. But also, if, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. To, to know God's word is to know Jesus. Paul says, the logos, my, my commission is to make the word of God, the logos of God, fully known. If I make the logos of God known, I will make Jesus known because he is the logos. And if I am making Jesus known, if I live like Jesus, if my life preaches Jesus, if everything that I do screams Jesus to the people who see me, then I am actually making God's word known. Scripture known. If I live like Jesus, then I'm going to be living the Beatitudes, right? I'm going to be a peacemaker. Jesus said, it, blessed is the peacemaker. If I live like Jesus, I will be making peace. And I will be showing people Jesus and God's Word. Do you see how this works? I'm getting to a point here, and it's already on the screen. You already see it. Discipleship. This is what discipleship is. It's not circular. It spirals. If you look at a spiral down the middle, it looks like a circle. But if you look at it from the side, you realize it's getting somewhere. We're, we're going back, and we're, we do this in, in school. You should. You spiral back. You, you learn something. And then you move on and you learn something new, but then you go back and you grab what you already learned because sometimes what you already learned actually helps you learn the, the next thing. So you spiral back and you pull it in to what you're learning and you move a little further and then you go back and you bring it in again and, 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 and that's spiraling. The Christian life is a spiral of sharing Jesus, who is God's Word. As we study God's Word, we learn more about Jesus, and then we share Jesus, who is God's Word. And by sharing Jesus, we are sharing God's Word with the people that we live around. And we just keep pulling it in. And the more we learn about Jesus, the more time we spend in God's Word, the more time we spend with Jesus, the better we know it, the better we know Jesus, and then our life better reflects God's Word. Jesus. He, he's the Logos we speak and read. Jesus is the Word. Uh, There's a song from the 80s, I think. It said something like, If you may be the only Jesus some will ever see, you may be the only Word of God some will ever read. It's the, that, those are the same thing. You may be the only Bible some people read. Your life may be the only scripture anybody reads, and your life should reflect Jesus. It should be the words of God. It should be the logos of God, Jesus. Going back to old St. Francis and what he didn't say and what he didn't say that was bad, the truth is you cannot preach Jesus without words. You can't share the gospel without explaining the gospel. But... It's very difficult to share the gospel with words when your life doesn't share the gospel by your actions. Living like Jesus 
is to live out God's Word. That's why we focus so much on discipleship. That's why probably 50% of my sermons will mention discipleship at some point. I don't want you to have scriptural knowledge for the sake of scriptural knowledge. In our uh, discovery class, one of the things that, uh, that we say is that salvation is like a parachute. Salvation, the gospel, is like a parachute. You can know the gospel. You can have knowledge of the gospel. You can do admit, believe, confess. You can know three circles. You can know F-A-I-T-H. You can know the Roman road. You, you can have knowledge of all those things. You, you can wear the parachute. I know the gospel. I know the gospel. Nobody, you quiz me on any part, you put any blank in the gospel, I can fill in the blank with the right word. I know the gospel. You can know the gospel and never use it. I can jump out of the airplane. I can have the parachute on my back. I've got the parachute. I know the parachute will keep me from hitting the ground. And I'll hit terminal velocity at whatever distance from the airplane, depending on how high, I'm up, how high up I am. What's terminal velocity? Anybody know? Gosh, y'all are just not helpful with nerd stuff this morning. Not at all. It's fast. And you know what happens when you hit the ground at terminal velocity? Only louder. And I can be wearing the parachute, and the whole way down, I could be screaming, I've got the parachute, I've got the parachute, I've got... Because I never pulled the cord. I never used the parachute. I know, I can tell you, I might tell you the physics of the parachute. I can tell you how much surface area of material I have to have in order to slow me down. And to, to, to keep me from killing myself when I hit the ground. I can tell you at how at the altitude I need to pull it so I can make sure that I don't hit the ground at a, 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 a killing speed. I can tell you all about the kinds of ropes that I need to use I, on the, the strings and all that. that I, I can tell you that how to pack the parachute so that when I pull the cord it pops out the way it's supposed to. I can even have one of those fancy ones that can pull this way and that way. And I can swing around. I can tell you all about how it glides and flies and how I can land on a dime anywhere I want to. But if I don't pull the dadgum cord, I'm going to squish. A lot of us go through life wearing the gospel. And we can tell you about the gospel. We can articulate the gospel. But we are traveling at terminal velocity to hell because all we have is a knowledge of the gospel and we have never pulled the cord. Paul says here, pull the cord in your life. Live the gospel. Show the gospel. Let your life be the gospel to other people. Make Jesus known by the way you live the Word of God, and you will live out God's Word. You may know all the passages, but until you are living like Jesus, you're not living out God's Word. We've got to pull the cord. 
He's the, uh, he, he, his afflictions are our sufferings. He's the Logos that we speak and read. Third, He's the mystery hidden for us. As far as I know, I don't know all of your histories, all of your genealogies. As far as I know, everybody in here is a Gentile. Now, there were some Sundays I couldn't have said that because I knew we had folks who were Jewish descendants. And, and maybe some of you are, and I just don't know it, and that's fine, but, but you're still probably somewhat Gentile. The mystery was hidden for us. Jesus, in verse 26, Paul says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. What was that mystery? Well, the mystery is the Word of God. So, now we're spiraling, right? We're going back to that other verse. The mystery is the Word of God. Well, the Word of God was not hidden. Not to the Jews, anyway. They had the Old Testament long before. Long before Paul came along, they had a canonized Old Testament. Around 400 B.C., our Old Testament, the one that we use, was the one they used. It was set. So they had Scripture. So the Word of God, as far as ink on paper, or papyrus, was not hidden. So clearly Paul's talking about something else here when he's talking about the Word of God being a mystery hidden. It was hidden. It was actually hidden in the Scripture. I mean, it was hidden in plain sight. They, they all knew, right? Remember when Herod went to the, uh, after the wise men showed up at uh, the palace, he went to the, his, his scribes and said, hey, where's the Messiah supposed to show up? And Malachi says, Bethlehem. Oh, okay. Good. Got it. Hidden in plain sight, right? It was no mystery. And yet, it was a mystery. I believe in Sunday school this morning, it was, how did they put it? Since I wasn't in the class, I didn't get to hear it. It was a, not something that had to be found, but had to be, but something that had to be divinely revealed. That's the mystery. So it wasn't that the, the, the Jews had to go searching. Well, is Scripture going to say anything about the Messiah? It did, but they had to be illuminated to, to see Oh, this Jesus, he's, he's the Messiah we've been waiting for. But, but Paul says in, in a couple of places, they were blinded. They, it was hidden so that the persecution would come against the church in Jerusalem, so that the gospel would go out, so that the Gentiles would hear, so that you and I, would know the gospel. Jesus is what the Jews were waiting for, and they knew they were waiting for him. And when he came along, they didn't see it. It was hidden for, from them. Jesus is what other religions long for. Every religion wants an abundant life. Every religion wants peace. Every religion wants joy. Every religion wants some sort of salvation. They just describe it differently. Every religion is looking for a Savior, and no religion talks about one except Christianity. Every religion longs for this mystery. They just don't know where to find it. 
Scripture tells us that Jesus was the plan all along. Back before time, Jesus was the plan. The Lamb was slain before the foundations of the earth, Scripture tells us. And He was ready to be revealed in God's timing. Ready to be revealed to the Gentiles, to us. He's the mystery that was hidden for us. And verse 27 continues. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery. Alright, we're back to that A equals B and B equals C, therefore A equals C. The Word of God equals the mystery. The mystery in verse 27 equals Christ in you. Well, Christ in you is the Word of God. That, that, that equals thing. Christ in us, He is the hope for our salvation. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus was what the Jews were waiting for, but Jesus wasn't just for the Jews. God, Yahweh, was not just for the Jews. I've said before, the Jews were supposed to be missionary people. They were supposed to take God, Yahweh, to the nations, and instead they uh, uh, they huddled up, they, they circled the wagons and tried to keep the nations out instead of being a missionary people. And so, God darkened their eyes, hid Jesus from them, so that Jesus would be shared with the Gentiles. That didn't mean Jews couldn't come to Christ, didn't mean that they didn't come to Christ or, or, or that there's a different way for Jews to be saved today. None of that is the case. It was that at that moment, God needed to say, hold on, we need this gospel. We're taking this gospel to the Gentiles. And the way to do that at this moment is to darken their understanding. Jesus is the hope for the Jewish salvation and the Buddhist salvation and the Muslim salvation and the pagan salvation and, and, the, and the, the Wiccans salvation. Jesus is the hope for any salvation. And He is glory. Glory. That, that, that word, it's, it's not something we use very much unless it's, ooh, glory. But wait, we know what that means, right? Oh, this is a big deal. Ooh, glory, that's, that's, a, that's wow, that's, a, that's kind of an amazing thing. Yeah, glory is an amazing thing. The glory that God deserves, the, the glory that He has as a part of His character, the glory that is imbued onto His Son because of the, the nature of God the Father and God the Son being one. They share this glory. And that glory... That hope of glory, that hope of amazement, that hope of, of, of uh, uh, incredibleness, that is in us. That is Christ in us. He is glory in our lives. Every morning when we get up, it should be, Jesus is my Savior. Who? Glory! And when we go to bed, Jesus got me through this day. Who glory. He is our glory now. He is our abundant life now. But He is our glory later. 
one day, in some way, we will share not His glory, but we will participate in the glory that God will set up in the new heaven and the new earth. We will be there to experience that. We will be there to uh, be a part of that. And we will get to experience that. Ooh, glory. Glory now and glory later. What else does Paul tell us about Jesus here? It's the, it's the uh, known among the Gentiles, this glorious wealth, glorious wealth, salvation is a treasure, a pearl of great price. Christ in us is a treasure. How do you treat a treasure? If somebody came to you, and whether you like his art or not, and said, hey, this is an original Picasso. As a matter of fact, this is one of his uh, most valuable paintings, and, and I want to give it to you. And, and you took that and said, I don't like Picasso. Huh? Here's my tablet. That's just keyboard. Really? You would treat a treasure? I, okay, I don't care that okay, he's not your style. Cubist isn't your thing. Whatevs. Um, that's a Picasso, man. And that often is the way we treat our salvation. I got it. Great. Woo, thanks. I'll pull the cord if I need it. Right? It's, it's nice to have, but meh, kind of a burden. Kind of gets in the way sometimes. This parachute's uncomfortable. Salvation is a treasure, a pearl of great price. We, read, we sang the, the last phrase of, O come to the altar. Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Tell the world. Live God's Word. Live so that God's Word is reflected in you. So that people see God's Word, Jesus. And that's for the good of everyone. Jesus is the hope of our salvation. Jesus is the hope for our forgiveness. Jesus is the hope for our deliverance. Jesus is the hope for our abundance. Jesus is the hope for our lives. Jesus is the hope for our resurrection. Jesus is the hope for eternity. Jesus is the hope for God's presence. Jesus is our hope for the drying of every tear. Jesus is the hope for the comforting of every hurt. Jesus is the hope for everything we hope for that is good in life. Jesus is the answer to every hurt, doubt, pain, need. Jesus is the hope for everything. But He's not just the hope. Wouldn't it be sad if one of y'all finally gave me my 1963 Corvette. 
Still, by the way, none of you, n- nobody, not once. Nobody's given me that Corvette, full size. Nah, full size. Well, one of you finally did. I walk out October 31st, last day of Pastor Appreciation Month, in the parking lot. There it is, 1963 Corvette. I think it's 63. It's red and white, red all over, but the, 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 the cutout on the side, that's the white part. Wow. I go and I sit in that thing. It's mine. You're giving it to me. Here are the keys, Michael. Put the key in it. There's no engine. You gave me a shell. It's pretty. There's no engine. There's no power to that car. There's no... You gave me the hope. And you didn't give me the power. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't give us the hope of glory without being the power within us. Verse 29. Paul says, I labor for this for proclaiming all this, for striving with His strength that works powerfully in me. John makes it clear. He, uh, Jesus says uh, that you will do things beyond what I did when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be able to do all this thing. You will have the power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, all power is given to me. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to do these things. That is what Jesus is telling us. Jesus is the power within us. He gave us not just the hope of a nice car, the trappings of something pretty, this idea of glory that makes us feel good until suddenly we die and haha, sorry, it was a joke. But instead, the engine's there and it is the power that is in us. As a matter of fact, what Paul is saying, and we skipped verse 28, the power, the striving, his strength that works powerfully in us is what Uh, empowers him to do the discipleship of verse 28. Paul says, we proclaim him, Jesus, the mystery, God's word, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That is discipleship. We proclaim God's word, God's logos, so that you may be matured, warning and teaching you. And that ability to disciple is empowered by Jesus. That power through discipleship, God's logos, word and Jesus, defeats false teaching and heresy. Remember, Paul is writing because of heresy in the Colossian church. This creeping heresy. And what he is telling them is that discipleship, the power within you, the power that comes from knowing God's Word and knowing the Logos of God, that power will help you overcome that false teaching, that heresy. But not just that. Go back to verse 24. I rejoice in my sufferings. The afflictions that are going to be on you as well. The power that is in us, sustains us, and overcomes affliction and suffering. So that no temptation comes on us, but what we are able to bear because of Christ in us. 
no trial comes, no tribulation comes that we and the Holy Spirit can't handle. We, we like the verse, no, I'm sorry, we like to say, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's a lie. You will get a lot more than you can handle. But you will never get more than you and the Holy Spirit in you can't handle. And then we got to define what handle looks like. Because sometimes handle looks like screaming and throwing things and, and causing a mess and, and breaking stuff and, and hurting and yelling and crying. And, and sometimes handling looks like a, a, a running back running through a, 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 a little rinky-dink offensive line and people flying everywhere and you just overcome it. Both of those sometimes is handling. And both of those things come by the power of Jesus in us. Because he is the power within us. The last thing Paul tells us is in, about Jesus, uh, about Christ in us is in verse 3. He says of Christ, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. By the way, it's called the transitive property. A equals B, B equals C, therefore A equals C. I just got texted that a few minutes ago. And here we see it again. In him, in the personification of the word, in Jesus as the word of God, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But do you know what that also means? In this, in God's written word, not just in God's visible word, Jesus, in both places, they're going to say the same thing, are written all, or rather are hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is all our wisdom and knowledge. Uh, we're getting close to Reformation Sunday, or Reformation Day, October 31st. Some know it as Halloween. Others know it as Reformation Day, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses against the Catholic Church on the door of uh, the uh, uh, something in Berms, uh, in, or Wittenberg. Wittenberg, yeah. Uh, huh? Y'all still say stuff to me, and I just cannot hear you. Um, he nailed these things on there, and, and uh, what came from that are the five solas, the five onlys. One of them is sola scriptura. And what that means is all we need for faith and practice is the Word. Scripture alone. Faith alone. Through Christ alone. For God's glory alone. Those are the, sol the, the solas. And I know I left one out. I can't remember it. Paul is telling us in Him is sola scriptura. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Scripture alone for faith and practice. So, let's, let's use our transitive property again. Understanding and knowledge come through discipleship. That discipleship is reading and knowing God's logos, God's Word. That means knowing God's Word, but that means knowing Jesus who is God's Word. Now, as I've said before, 
you can search the Bible from front to back, read it sideways, and you can even do those, those weird Bible codes where you count numbers and stuff. And you will not find anywhere in here how many quarts of oil a Toyota Corolla uses when you change that oil. It's not in here. Nowhere. It's 4.4, by the way. I got my oil changed like a week ago. But that's not in here. Because Scripture never says, I'm going to tell you how to change the oil in your car. Scripture tells us, I'm going to tell you how to live like Jesus. I'm going to give you all the wisdom and knowledge to practice the faith, to live the gospel you now claim. If you want to know the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, if you want to know how to live like Jesus, read God's Word. Be discipled. Come to church on Sunday morning. Sit through my sermons and try to stay awake. Come to connect groups and be a part of a small group that where our purpose, our goal is to connect you to God and to each other. Come be a part of our discipleship groups, our D groups on Sunday night, Monday night, and whatever other night that we have them, where we go even deeper beyond what we did in the connect group, beyond what I talk about in the message, we go even deeper. We ask more questions, sometimes more broadly about Scripture, sometimes more uh, 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 just deeper about Scripture. But we are being discipled. We are knowing God's logos, His Word and His Word, the Son, better. But you can't be a disciple of Jesus without knowing Jesus through the gospel first, without accepting Jesus as your Savior. You, you can get what we would call proto-discipleship or pre-discipleship, pre-evangelism. You can, you can have some knowledge that prepares you for the day you trust Jesus, but until you accept Jesus as your Savior, you are not going to be one of his disciples, and you're not going to be trained in discipleship. You're not going to know Jesus. You can't know Jesus until you know Jesus. So this morning, you can know Jesus for yourself. You can have the salvation, the relationship that begins the discipleship process by admitting you're a sinner. Everybody sinned. Everybody does it. You're going to. You're going to continue to do it. But you can have forgiveness for that sin. You need forgiveness for that sin because the result of that sin, the wages of that sin, is death. Your way out, your gift, is God's logos. We, you know how we know it's God's logos? Because we read God's logos. And it tells us about God's Logos, who died on the cross for our sins. So that if we will place our faith, if we will believe in Him, believe in God's Word, believe in the Word made flesh, Jesus, we will be saved. God proved that because when we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And all we have to do is call on His name to be saved. Believe in our hearts that uh, confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead and we will become his disciples and then the discipleship process begins. 
we know Jesus, then we get to know Jesus. And then we get to know Jesus. This morning I pray you will get to know Jesus, the Christ in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you, you want us to know you. You sent your word and you sent your word and through your words, we know you. Through the word made flesh, we have salvation. Through Jesus Christ, we can have a relationship with you. Through your written word, we can get to know you better. Through the Holy Spirit, we can be led to truth. We will be empowered to disciple each other. We will be empowered to know truth versus falsehood. We will be empowered to overcome and make it through the sufferings and the tribulations that come because we follow you, because we are faithful to you. God, you provided it all. You've got it all worked out. And a life of persecution with you is better than a life of profit away from you. God, I thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. I thank you that you remind us daily to come to your word, to know your word better, to live out your word so that people can see the word in us. And I pray that somebody today will follow you, uh, come to you for salvation trust you. I pray that a believer today will say, I want to live my life more than ever so that Jesus is seen, so that the Word of God, the Logos of God is seen and read in my life, so that the people I come into contact day to day see Christ in me. Lord, we pray that you would work on hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe as a believer, you would just like to spend some time in prayer where you are. Maybe you'd like to pray with Tom or Lee or Kirk, a couple of our deacons in the back. They would love to pray with you. If you want to be, if you want people to see Christ in you more and you would just like that encouragement of prayer, do that. If you would like to follow Jesus for salvation, trust him. They would love to tell you a little more about that if you have questions. Maybe you need to be baptized. It's time to go ahead and say, that's me. I want to do it. Let them know. If you'd like to join our church, let them know. Talk to either, either of the three of them. Pray with them. Whatever, it's, whatever the Lord is leading you to do, do that this morning. But we're going to stand and we're going to sing. I want to take a few minutes to let God really work on our hearts. And I pray that you would respond. Believer. Do you need to live so that Christ is seen in you? i got a great time for you to start right now. Let's stand, let's sing, and let's let God do business in our hearts this morning.